0: is Christian Questions.
1: Confucius said, faced with what's right, to leave it undone shows a lack of courage. Good morning everyone and welcome to Christian Questions Talk Radio with a purpose with Jonathan and Rick. This isn't your typical Christian commentary. We love talking with our audience and we promise to never talk at you. Like so many talk shows do today, this is a conversation about biblical topics as we look at them from a different
2: perspective. And Rick, that perspective is based on godly principles, family values, honest dialogue, all in a politically free zone. Jonathan, the best part is this. We talk and you listen and then you talk and we listen. You can also contact us at our website, ChristianQuestions.com.
1: I'm Rick. And I'm Jonathan. And folks, we're glad you've chosen to spend some time with us today. Good morning, Jonathan. What's up? What's happening? And what are we talking about today?
2: Good morning, Rick. Our question this morning is, Jesus was prepared. Are you? And our theme text comes from Luke chapter 19, verses 9 and 10. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost.
1: So, today is Palm Sunday. Yes, it is. And we are going to be talking about the events that surround Palm Sunday. Jesus knew when his time would be up and his sacrifice would be complete. He knew. Down to the very hour, he Knew. He understood the pain and suffering that awaited, and he also understood the immense difficulty and challenge that would unfold not only for him, but for his followers as well. So, knowing all of this, I mean, if you knew all of this kind of stuff ahead of time in your life, what did Jesus do to prepare himself to overcome? Where did he go? How did he act? What did he say? Folks, stay with us as we observe what our master did to prepare to finish his walk of sacrifice so we can learn how to handle our own. And, uh, Jonathan, the interesting thing is, well, there's a lot of interesting things, but one of the interesting (laughs) things is that here we are, we are... uh, The real definition of a Christian is a footstep follower of Christ. Right. So, the real definition of a Christian is you need to have your life focused on living a life of sacrifice just like Jesus did. It's okay to be a copycat. That's right. Exactly. So, when we see Jesus getting ready and preparing for the greatest trial of his life here on on earth, it is a real important template for us to use to say how do we prepare ourselves for the inevitable trials that come to us.
2: This is a very moving subject so our focus really needs to be what did Jesus do? How did he do it?
1: What did he say? How did he act? We need to be like him. Yes, exactly. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at and observe what he did and the things he said and the places he went so we can draw the lessons uh, for ourselves. Let's get started, Jonathan. This is a fascinating soundbite. This is from truthortradition.com and it's about uh, the Gospels and the recording the, the, the elements um, of Jesus' life that are
3: recorded in the Gospels. There are the four Gospels that talk about the life of Christ, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Well, starting in Matthew 21, we're into the last week of Christ's life. Now, there's only 28 chapters. That means more than 25% of Of the entire book of Matthew is in the last week of Jesus Christ's life. Mark starts in chapter 11, only has 16 chapters. So again, more than a quarter of the book of Mark, more than 25% of the book of Mark is just about the last week of Christ's life. Luke starts in chapter 19, 24 chapters. That means almost 25% of Luke is just on the last week of Christ. And John Starts in chapter twelve, and there's 21 chapters, so it's moving toward half of the book. Something like I think I punched the number. Something like 46 percent of the of the Gospel of John is on the last week of Jesus Christ's.
1: So, what does that mean for us, Rick? That means that this is this is the textbook. And the, the instructions are in the textbook, so are we going to learn the lessons? Because we're seeing that Jesus, it, there's so much that's focused on that last week. Now think about all the things that aren't recorded in the previous three and a half years of his life. Wow, that's a good point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so Jesus, I mean, he was just so incredibly active. We get just a mere glimpse, really, uh, according to the Gospels. So let's get started with this, with the focus of what can we learn and how can we be prepared the way Jesus was. Let's go back a few weeks before that last week and begin our look at his preparation with his greatest miracle. And that was the raising of Lazarus from the dead. We're just going to drop in on a small part of that, John eleven forty-one to 44.
2: So they removed this stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but because of the people standing around I said it, so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. The man who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrapping, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth, Jesus said to them, "Unbind him and let him go."
1: The, the, I, I wish we could have had time to just to go through that whole account and the drama, the utter drama of you know calling him forth from from the uh, the sepulcher. There, this restoration of life was an unmistakable evidence of God's power. I mean, Lazarus wasn't didn't just die you know ten minutes before. No, he's he was dead
2: about four days, yeah. right?
1: Yeah, he, he, was, he was. Wow. They, you know, they said, "Don't open the the, the tomb." He's Gonna, he's decaying, so I mean, you get this sense that it, this is really showing um, the power of of God expressed through Jesus. Yes, because He's showing that He has uh, power over all aspects of life. And if you, there were three three individuals Jesus raised from the dead, they were all at different phases of death. One had just died, one was on the way to a funeral, and now you have Lazarus who had been dead for a long time. It just shows that Jesus had power over all aspects because he is Messiah, the Son of God. All right, so what is the result? This is the the most incredible, miraculous restoration of life ever witnessed in human in human history. And what's the result of that? Well, let's look at John 11, go down a few more verses, verses 47 to 48 and verse 53.
2: Therefore the chief priests and the Pharisees, conveyed a counsel, and were saying, What are we doing? For this man is performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, all men will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. So from that day on, they planned together to kill
1: him. Now, you tell me, is that sensible? I mean, folks, think about this <laughs>
2: for all the good that he's doing right. let's kill
1: him. You have the greatest miracle worker uh, to ever walk the earth who is wise and humble, and uh, your response is let's let's um let's get rid of him because they're afraid that the Romans are going to come in and, and and destroy their place and 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 their uh their positions that's what they're afraid of how selfish it absolutely is. So Jesus understands this. And so what happens? John eleven fifty four. Therefore, Jesus
2: no longer continued to walk publicly among the Jews, but went away from there to the country near the wilderness
1: into a city called Ephraim. And there he stayed with the disciples. So he goes to this city called Ephraim. And actually, Jonathan, what we're going to do uh, with Seeker Rewind, the full edition, we're going to uh, attach a map to that. Uh, just to give you a sense of where these places are, because we're going to be talking about, uh, we'll be dealing with Jerusalem, Ephraim, Jericho, and Bethany. Mm-hmm. Well, what does all that mean? I mean, how how do you figure out where things are? And, so and the
2: map will show you the distance, right. how many miles he had to travel here, there, and, and right, everywhere. Right, okay. right.
1: So yeah. Seeker Rewind, the full edition. If you do not subscribe to it, well, you can remedy that really easily. Sign up. There you go. At ChristianQuestions.com. It is a free service, and it's based on this program. Uh, we put the scriptures and the commentary together to give you a study tool. Great graphics and illustrations, bonus material, lots of good stuff. So, at that's exclusively available at ChristianQuestions.com. Now, so he goes far enough away from the plotting because Ephraim is about probably 15, 18 miles away from Jerusalem, uh, but close enough to walk right back into the line of fire when it's appropriate. So he doesn't like flee and run to the hills, but it's uh, it's pretty much uh, maybe a half a day's walk. Mm-hmm. Okay, so. That's where, where, where Jesus goes. So now let's go down to John eleven fifty five to 57. Now remember, this is in the same chapter of the raising of Lazarus, and now it's the season for the Passover.
2: Now the Passover of the Jews was near, and many went up to Jerusalem out of the country before the Passover to purify themselves. So they were seeking for Jesus, and were saying to one another as they stood in the temple, What do you think? That he will not come to the feast at all? Now, the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he was to report it so that they might seize
1: him. So they put out an APB on Jesus. I mean, think about that. They're treating him like a criminal. They are absolutely treating him like a criminal, and he hasn't done anything wrong. But the people, there's this stir that's beginning uh, be- long before the Passover because people are starting to gather in Jerusalem, and, and that is the, sort of the center place. And right? they're hearing all
2: the stories about this man Jesus and all
1: that was being done. And so they're also seeming to hear that there's there's the grudge against him. So they're thinking, well, what do you think? You think he's going to be here? You know, maybe they're putting out bets. Who knows? I mean, the, the whole point is there's this undercurrent of conversation and discussion and anticipation of what is Jesus going to do? How is he going to act here? So this event set Jesus on the fa- final path, the event of the raising of Lazarus, because that really triggered the Pharisees' oh, it did. absolute Complete reaction to say, okay, that's it. We've got to get rid of it. Enough is enough. Right, right. And they had said things like that previously, but never put the plan in place the way they did this time. So, the event of the raising of Lazarus set Jesus on the final path of his short human life. So, in a way, the raising of Lazarus was the catalyst for the way Jesus would prepare himself for his crucifixion. So, this brings us to our first how-did-Jesus-prepare lesson. So, how did Jesus prepare? He performed a miracle of such magnitude
2: and in such open and viewable manner that it would bring out men's true colors, for by the miracle, they would either line up to praise God or line up to destroy the messenger.
1: And so, how did he prepare? He was bold in the uh, application of what he had been given. Jesus had been given because remember at uh, at Jordan when he's baptized. This is three and a half years before now. The the, the Spirit descends upon him like a dove. And he goes out to fast and pray to understand and learn what he's to do. And he he has the ability to do things that other human beings just can't because the, the power of the Spirit is upon him. So he takes that power and he applies it in such a dramatic way that it's going to flush out people who are sitting on the fence. It's going to say, okay... You're either really, really astounded and astonished, and 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 wanting to know more about Jesus, or you're completely, totally, and utterly threatened by his very presence. There was no middle ground after that particular miracle. And the other interesting thing about that miracle, Jonathan, is that Jesus knew that Lazarus was sick. Before, uh, remember, it was uh, it was like a week or so yeah. before because he's with his his uh, the apostles, and and they say you know Lazarus is sick. You know, why don't you go to him? No, no, it's okay. You know? He's dead. Yeah, he's, he's going to die, basically. Jesus yep. knew that he was sick nigh unto death, mm-hmm. and he knew that it would be for the glory of God. That's
2: the purpose.
1: So, Jesus did not shy away from the attention that would be garnered as a result of performing this amazing, unbelievable miracle. So that's what we have as sort of the the beginning phase of looking at the last week of Jesus' life, an event that happened before the last week of his life. Several days probably passed, and so he went to Ephraim, remember, and then he finally goes to Jericho on his way to his eventual destination of Jerusalem. So Jesus now is going to begin to work his way back to the city where it will all take place.
2: This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, Jesus Was Prepared... Are you? Coming up, when Jesus entered Jericho, why did he choose the short guy to eat with? Well, that sure makes Rick happy. But why was everyone else grumbling? That's next.
0: You're listening to Christian Questions.
2: Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, Jesus was prepared. Are you? To be a part of our program, call toll free 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now. And our website, ChristianQuestions.com.
1: And Jonathan, this morning we really are dealing with a very unique part of Jesus' life. We are looking at the part of his life where he is actually knowing that crucifixion is coming within, you know, six, seven, eight days, whatever it is at this point. And what and, and and the Bible gives us a very clear picture of what Jesus does during that period of time. It is the most detailed Part of his life um, that is is shown to us in scripture, so it really gives us something to work with in terms of being prepared ourselves as footstep followers of Christ to learn how to prepare for great trials and great tribulation because that 's what Jesus did and you know' what's that little wristband people sometimes at w w j d what would jesus do mm-hmm. well let 's look at what jesus what did Jesus do in terms of his own preparation so you mentioned at the end. You mentioned a short guy. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus ate with a short guy. He ate with... Yes. (laughs) (laughs) He goes to Jericho. So... So from Ephraim, he goes to Jericho. There's not too, too much of a distance between the two places. But just uh, Commentator uh, McGee has some interesting things to say about Jericho that really helps to put Jericho into a perspective. What was it like uh, at the time of Jesus? Jericho was the city that God had given into the hand of
2: Joshua. A curse was placed on whoever would rebuild it. The man who rebuilt in the days of Ahab reaped the curse in all its fullness. In Jesus' day... It was like a resort area, the Las Vegas of that time. Many people spent their vacations there. Here, the publicans lived. Now, the publicans were like the modern mafia. They were tax gatherers and were despised.
1: So that gives you a very, very graphic picture of Jericho. It's not the kind of place you'd want to go to do a lot of spiritual teaching, I guess. Huh? No, I don't think so. So you got all these other things going on in Jericho, and yet that's where Jesus... Now, he enters Jericho to pass through it, but has an incredibly interesting experience there. So, folks, as we go through these aspects of the life of Jesus, we'd love to hear your thoughts on his preparation, what it means to you, what stands out in in terms of the last week of Jesus life and the things that he did, and again, lessons for us, our number is eight six six nine eight five four two five five toll free eight six six nine eight five four all We are live Sunday mornings from seven to nine, and that means we 're on right
2: now and we want to hear what you have to say about today 's topic. Post your comments on our Facebook page, go to our blog at christianquestions dot com
1: So let's go to Luke 19, uh, verses 1 to 10. This is uh, the, the Jericho incident.
2: He entered Jericho and was passing through it. A man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was short in stature. I can relate. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him. Because he was going to pass that way.
1: So you have this man. He's very, uh, he's wealthy. He's a chief tax collector. But he has got it in his head. He has got to see this man named Jesus. And so he's a man on a mission. He is. He goes and he's... He wants to at least get a glimpse of them. And I, look, I can relate to, you know, you're, you're in the crowd and you're trying to like jump up on people's shoulders and, you know, <laughs> and see what's going on. Like, oh, I want to see, you. I want to see, you. get out of my way. Get so he finds a way to do it. He finds a tree and he climbs up because, hey, now he's the tallest. Again, <laughs> I can relate to that. So what happens?
2: When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and was happy to welcome him.
1: Now, isn't that just like our Lord Jesus? He recognized the sinner. He 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 calls him out by name. He recognizes him, though Jonathan doesn't see him as oh look, there's Zacchaeus, the rich tax collector, the rich chief tax collector. He sees what his heart is, and he says, Zacchaeus, come on down, and I, I want I want to spend time with you. I mean, think about that. Here's this man who who has a good heart is not employed in a very good situation but his heart is overriding everything else and Jesus sees it he saw him from the inside out exactly. didn't he Rick and and that is part of the theme of not only Jesus whole life but really at the end of his uh, end of his walk he did everything from the inside out with himself with his disciples and with those who were against him as well verse 7
2: all who saw it began to grumble and said he has gone to be with the guest of one who is a sinner?
1: Now see, just like the average man, judging from the outside in, they don't see his heart, they don't care what what Zacchaeus is, is trying to, to find, that, that Zacchaeus is trying to find his way in his life. All they see is, well, he's a chief tax collector, and Jesus, this so-called holy man, wants to spend time with that guy? Well, everyone knows he's a cheat, right. Rick. <laughs> so so they 're looking at that, and they 're saying what there, there's something wrong they don 't get what Jesus is about, and this is why they didn't they they saw the the Pharisees sought to to kill him because they didn 't get what Jesus was really all about. they got the outside they didn 't understand the inside, so Zacchaeus comes down from the tree as the the um, the the the, the, uh, the the Pharisees and so forth are are grumbling about this. And what does he say? Zacchaeus stood there
2: and said to the Lord, "Look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if any defraud anyone of, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back
1: four times as much." Now, isn't that just like a sinner who is truly repentant from the heart, from the inside out, being willing those to help in need? He says, immediately, half of my possessions I'm going to give to the poor.
2: Oh, the scribes and Pharisees would, would have wanted that part. <laughs> <laughs> they
1: weren't poor, though, now were they? No. <laughs> okay, so he's willing to help those in need, and he's willing also to make right anything he has done that was wrong. Not just That's a good heart. And it's not just making it right. If I took from you, I'll just give it back. He's saying, I'm going to give it back to you four times over, because he is trying to be a good man. He doesn't know how to be a good man, and Jesus has released the ability just by just by Jesus' mere presence in this guy's life in this moment. It changed
2: Zacchaeus's life forever,
1: and and you know it changed his life because of Jesus' response. Read verses nine and ten. Then Jesus said to him, "Today
2: salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham." For the Son of Man came to seek out and to save the lost. So,
1: Jesus pronounces that salvation has come to him because he is a son of Abraham. And Jesus, and, and he said, Listen, this is what I'm about. I came to save that which was lost. So, the lesson is not just for Zacchaeus, the short guy, which just proves good things do come in small packages.
2: It was the crowd around learning right.
1: this lesson that Jesus was trying to teach. Right, right. So... Jesus makes a great statement by this one act of kindness and this one observation of a man's true heart. Folks, if you have a thought, it's 866-985-4255. Toll free, 866 985 all We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9, and that means we're on right now. And go to our website and become a Twitter
2: follower and to learn about upcoming programs and new updates posted. Our website has over 500 archived Programs go to christianquestions.com
1: Yeah, and if you want to become a Twitter follower, and that's really quite a, uh, a growing phenomenon in the Christian Questions world, down on the bottom of the first page of the website is how to link up with Twitter. So, uh, you want to go, go there for that. So, Jonathan, from this experience with Zacchaeus, how did Jesus prepare? He does what he came to do, he brings a fallen man back in
2: line with righteousness as a picture of. Of the worldwide redemption
1: his sacrifice will bring about
2: in his kingdom.
1: Because it says, I came to save that which was lost. So he's really speaking of, in in a greater sense, in a prophetic sense, he came to save that which was lost, not just Zacchaeus, not just the nation of Israel, but all of mankind was lost through the sin of Adam. That's right. So he's speaking, and Zacchaeus is a picture of the, the grand repentance and changing of direction that the world uh, will be able to experience. So that's one of the great experiences of, of Jesus preparing for his own sacrifice. He, he does what he came to do. He, he doesn't change it. He doesn't, he doesn't back away. He doesn't need more time to think. He just goes ahead and does what he normally does. Let's go now a little bit further in Luke chapter 19, verses 11 through 13.
2: As they were listening to this,
1: He went on to tell a parable because
2: he was near Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. So he said, A nobleman went to a distant country to get a royal power for himself and then return. He summoned ten of his slaves and gave them ten pounds and said to them, Do business with these until I come back.
1: So now the crowd is listening to Jesus Speaking with Zacchaeus and addressing the individuals who are grumbling against Zacchaeus. And what's happening is they're figuring because Jesus is near Jerusalem and because it's near Passover, this must be the time that God's kingdom is going to come to the earth. It's time. They're figuring like look, it, it's go. all lining up. I mean he's the guy he raised a man from the dead for goodness sakes, and there's this incredible anticipation. Jesus realizes this and what does he do? He tells he speaks a parable. And he speaks the parable to say to them, essentially, No, it's not coming to the earth now, it's later. Here's a story so you can understand the timing of the matter. So he reads their hearts again, and he addresses it. And that's the incredible compassion of Jesus. He always sees and always finds a way to address the difficulty. What a
2: great... I love that. How how are we doing in in our Christian walk? Uh, Are we preparing uh, our faithfulness
1: every day to the Lord? And, And... Again, you see him preparing his faithfulness by serving those around him. He's not just preparing by focusing on what do I have to do, what do I have to do. He does that, but he doesn't do that at the exclusion of taking care of those around him. How does he prepare in this instance, Jonathan, speaking this parable? He
2: is as sensitive to the crowd as he always is and teaches them that while the worldwide redemption is not yet to be, they would be his followers, and would have a high level of responsibility and opportunity in his absence.
1: So he's speaking about those who are really, truly following him, saying, look, your responsibilities are really only just beginning, and he's preparing them and that's one of the great things about Jesus is he prepares those around him and addresses the needs of those around them so that they can be prepared. And that's how he prepares. And are we that selfless? And that that is the word that came to my mind. Yep. Selfless. Yeah. It, 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 wow. It, it, it's a great, great. Example. Which is the
2: opposite of our world today. Yeah. Selfish. It,
1: it, incredibly opposite. Again, folks, it's eight six six nine eight five four two five five. Let us know what you think. How did Jesus prepare? What does it mean to you? What jumps out at you from his preparation from his last week? Stay connected to Rick and I at ChristianQuestions.com no matter the day or time. Let's move on to John 12, uh, verses 1 to 7, because now we're getting into the last week before his crucifixion. Then six days
2: before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him.
1: So he's there to have this great fellowship. And remember, Lazarus is the guy. He's the other guy that uh, the uh the Pharisees wanted dead.
2: Because of that witness to all the right. people uh which were actually turning the hearts of the people towards Jesus which they did not like.
1: So he's at the home of Mary, Martha and Lazarus. It's a it's a kind of a nice reunion again. And and it's probably may, may, maybe a week or two, not even between the raising of Lazarus and this. And maybe this is the first time he goes back to their house. It could be. So you imagine the great oh, emotion of that great reunion. Definitely. Because Lazarus is alive and his two sisters are probably beside themselves with joy so and, and thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. And and that probably is what provokes the next event in uh, verses uh, 3 to 6.
2: Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the whole house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief, and had the money box, and used to take what was put in it. But Jesus said, let her alone, she has kept this for the day of my burial.
1: So the interesting thing here is, now Mary doesn't know that Jesus is is on his way to crucifixion and death. No, she doesn't. But she gives him this incredibly valuable gift, I mean incredibly valuable gift, a year's worth of wages. Wow. And he says, Jesus says, it's to, to prepare me for my burial. Now, she had no idea that's really the reality and of it. Perhaps this was a thank you for the raising her brother from the dead. I like that thought. We don't know that for sure, but, I mean, w- w- what price do you put on life? Oh, right, <laughs> exactly. exactly. So, so so how does Jesus prepare in this particular instance?
2: He allowed himself to receive a costly, beautiful and symbolic gift
1: so he, in preparing himself isn't it is about understanding that receiving is as important as giving. he just puts it all in great perspective.
2: This is Christian questions i'm Jonathan here with Rick, our subject this morning. Jesus was prepared. Are you coming up, Word spread that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. who would show up to see him, and how many people were there that's next.
0: You're listening to Christian
2: Questions. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, Jesus was prepared. Are you? To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866 985 For all. We're live Sunday mornings from seven to nine. That means we're on right now on our website, ChristianQuestions.com.
1: So, Jonathan, one of the things we want to remind our listeners about is Seek Your Rewind the full edition. That's right, at ChristianQuestions.com. It's exclusively available there. It is a free service and it's a summation of our Sunday morning broadcasts.
2: There's bonus material, there's graphics, illustrations, it's a Bible study. Per
1: topic. It's a tool. It's a tool to help with your Bible study with trying to find uh, really the, the, the truth of the scriptures in, in, in the way you deem best. So again, we make that available f- uh, to you free of service. Also, we have an app. That's right. If you have a smartphone
2: or an Android. Um You can just go to your app store and uh, just write in Christian Questions, and there you
1: go. And that's another free service, and it's another tool that opens up the door to so many different services available through Christian Questions, all of which, incidentally, are no charge. Because, you know, one of the things we want to do is we want to do what Jesus did. Freely you have received, freely give. And we work really hard at that. So don't forget to check out the app and seek your Rewind, the full edition. Okay, Jonathan, let's move forward with the story. Now, um, Jesus has been anointed for his death by Mary, a very, very, very touching uh, uh, gesture on her part. Let's go to John twelve nine to 10.
2: Now, a great many of the Jews knew that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests plotted to put Lazarus to death also.
1: <laughs> great. <laughs> so the guy was dead already once and they just want him dead again as quick as possible. I mean,
2: Unbelievable.
1: But here's the thing. A great many of the Jews knew that Jesus was in Bethany. He's close to Jerusalem. Because remember, he went from Ephraim to Jericho to Bethany. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now there's this anticipation. He's on that, his way. Yeah, there's He's a, coming. It, it's, it's a growing anticipation. And word is spreading like wildfire. Remember, they didn't have Twitter in those days to spread word. They had word of <laughs> they, mouth. They had
2: the grapevine. They had, yes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to take a look at writing into Jerusalem and the events of that. And as we read through scriptures, though, we're going to be combining the accounts of Matthew 21, 1-11, Mark eleven one to 11 Luke 19, 28-44, and John 12, 12-19. We're going to put all of these together, and so we're not going to necessarily give you the citations. You can get all of that on Seeker Rewind, the full edition. Um, but we just want to go through and recount the writing into Jerusalem on what we know now as Palm Sunday.
2: With all the details from each of the Gospels.
1: Right. When they were
2: approaching Jerusalem at Bethpage in Bethany, Near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Just say this, The Lord needs it, and we will send it back here immediately.
1: Okay, so he tells them, Go and get the, the, the young donkey, basically.
2: This took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, look, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt of the foal of a donkey.
1: Okay, and then go to the John part.
2: His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written of him and had been done to
1: him. And that's such a great observation there that John makes in the recording of this event, that the things that he did were beyond their comprehension. Because, and that happens to us oftentimes. You're in the middle of an experience, and you're not really grasping the magnitude of the experience. But once it's over, you can look back and say, The light bulb goes yeah, off. Yeah, wow, look at, oh, I didn't even catch that part. And there are so many things that Jesus did as a fulfillment of prophecy because that's the way it had to happen the prophecies were put in place by the the wisdom of God through the pen of oh, the pens yeah <laughs> did they have a ballpoint pen or was it a, <laughs> was it a fountain pen who knows <laughs> through the writing of the prophets and these things had to come to pass let's, let's just take a quick look at the Zechariah chapter 9 Uh, Prophecy, verses 9 to 12. And we're just going to very, very quickly touch on it. There's a lot more on this prophecy in Seeker Rewind, the full edition, in the bonus material.
2: Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey.
1: Okay, so at this point, what you have is, it says, uh, shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Let's remember that. He shall
2: speak. Speak peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from river to the ends of the earth. As for you also, because of the blood of your covenant, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to the stronghold, you prisoners of hope.
1: Even today, I declare that I will restore double to you so this prophecy is packed with several several aspects, not only present aspects of what Jesus is doing at that moment, but the meaning of what Jesus is doing, what it's going to translate into much later. So you have O daughter of Zion, shout, behold, your king is coming to you, he 's just and having salvation, he 's lowly riding on a donkey. And then it, it, it kind of gives a prophecy of, and what this is going to produce is later when the f- complete fulfillment comes in. Speaking peace to the nations. And his dominion will be from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. So it gives a beautiful you, picture. It gives you the immediate moment of what Jesus is doing and it gives you the, the the projection of the result of what Jesus was doing. All of that from Zechariah. Now Jesus knew the prophecy mm-hmm. and he knows what is going to happen. And that's the thrilling part about this.
2: Well, Rick, let's go to the phones. We have Julius from Connecticut. Good morning, Julius, and welcome to Christian Questions.
4: Gentlemen, good morning. Good morning. Boy, another year gone by, huh? Yes. A time flies. See, if I may say uh, hi to my friend John in New York, my niece Debbie in California, and Randall. You know, I don't get to re- listen to Randall too much. My schedule is just such, you know, I squeeze in this little time. Uh, it's a pleasure. Uh, I make the effort. I like to participate in your study. Say hi to those folks this morning. I, You know, I did already, I guess.
5: You did. All right.
4: <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, uh, I try to tie in, uh, uh, connect values uh, to uh, the... Lessons that you share with us every Sunday morning. For example, uh, the issue of uh, teaching children early in life, the formative years, you know, children, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, give them a foundation. And I have two quick scriptures for you to share with you this morning, going, of course, to our Lord Jesus. Prophetically, Psalms 63, verse 1, Uh, the Psalm that says, uh, You are my God, early. 63, verse 1, early will I seek you. I think that's the prophecy of the Lord Jesus. And I'll tie it into uh, Luke two forty-nine, a very familiar scripture. And he said unto them, how is it that ye sought me? We ye not that I must be about my father's business. Here's the Lord Jesus fulfilling prophecy. I'm sure there are a lot of other prophecies about him. Uh, I tie this one in particular to the Luke. 249 is early when well, I seek the age 12. Yeah. So early in life he sought to do his father's will. So he was well prepared for his ministry. Thank
2: you and God bless. Thank you, Julius. Appreciate your call. Good day. Thank you. Okay,
1: bye And that is interesting because, you know, we're looking at the last week, the last 10 days or so of Jesus' life, and Julius, Julius brought, brings us back and says, well, hey, wait, don't forget that even as a child, he was about his father's business. And, and that is such an important point, because what we'll find, and you know, it's not, it's not like stealing the thunder of what's going to happen the rest of the program, but what we find is Jesus does exactly what he's always done, maybe with a little bit more intensity and, and clearer focus because the time is short, but he doesn't change. There's nothing dramatic that changes because he's already set the template for how to live. And that, again, is a huge lesson for us. So, Julius, thanks for that reminder of Jesus' early life. Jonathan, let's continue uh, with the uh, preparation for riding into Jerusalem.
2: They went away and found a colt tied near a door outside in the street. As they were untying it, its owner asked them, What are you doing untying the colt? They told them what Jesus had said, that they allowed them to take it. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put their cloaks on them, and he sat on them.
1: So it's interesting. The owner of, of the donkey comes by and says, what are you doing? <laughs> and, and I'll paraphrase a little bit. Hey, that's, that's my animal. Uh, excuse me. And so they tell him the master is in need of it. And his response is, very, is, is exactly what Jesus said it would be. Oh, okay. Go ahead. Take it. You know, and you think that the man knew who Jesus was, and you think that he must have felt like, "Wow, Jesus himself how is, honoring is going thing. to be using my animal it, it's, Yeah, it's just that's a cool neat. it's a cool part of this whole thing all right let let's continue
2: as it was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives. many people spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut in the fields. And among them was the whole multitude of the disciples, the crowd that had been with them when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised from the dead. It also was because they heard that he had performed this sign
1: that the crowd went out to meet him. So you really see how the raising of Lazarus was such an important part of the ministry of Jesus, of the development of what was happening here. So let's just go to get, get a sense of the... Um, of the of the chaos, well, controlled chaos. Of the excitement—that's the better word. That is a good word. The excitement that Jesus draws from the people. Here's a, a depiction of the crowd.
6: The next day, the large crowd that had come to the Passover festival heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, so they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, shouting, "Praise God!" God bless him who comes in the name of the Lord. God bless the king of Israel. Jesus found a donkey and rode on it, just as the scripture says. Do not be afraid, city of Zion. Here comes your king, riding on a young donkey.
1: So you get a sense of the of the of the excitement and uh, anticipation going on there you had mentioned at the end of the last segment about how many people were there let's let's go to uh, commentator uh, mr. Trapp on this one uh, just to get a sense of what he thinks happened
2: a very great multitude the crowd was unified behind Jesus the son of David and a very great multitude uh, bon saith he was met at this time by three hundred thousand Jews some whereof went before Christ, some followed after, according to the solemn rites, and reverence used to be given to earthly kings in their most pompous triumphs. This was the Lord's own work.
1: So what he says is basically that there is, there are about, he's estimating, 300,000 people.
2: In this crowd.
1: In this particular crowd.
2: Wow. And there were probably over 2 million people coming to Jerusalem for the the uh, f- The Passover. The Passover,
1: yeah. Right. So and so you have and, and they're coming because they are um they, they have a sense of, of the, the magnitude of the interesting thing is, you know, this this particular Passover was going to be on the Sabbath. So oh, yeah. it was a higher and holier Passover. So you've got a, an immense crowd that's come to Jerusalem, but they're aware of Jesus. They're aware of Lazarus. You have people that were there when Jesus uh, raised Lazarus. You have people that were there um, who were his followers. You have people that were there who were opposed to him. And they're all converging. At this same time, three hundred thousand. I mean, Jonathan, that's amazing. A typical baseball stadium will, will seat maybe fifty thousand people. Okay, so if you have six of those, Whoa. sold out. That's huge. That, that's how many people are there between uh, Bethany and uh, and Jer- Jerusalem? I mean, three hundred thousand. We, when we think of a big crowd in those days, we don't think of crowds that size. We don't. So, what's the lesson here? What do? How did Jesus prepare?
2: He knew the prophecies and was willing to fully live their fulfillment.
1: He understood that before crucifixion, before suffering, he would be embraced by literally hundreds of thousands of people. He would be, and they would be shouting out for him just the way the prophecy in Zechariah said. They'd be shouting his name and they'd be shouting, you know, Hosanna, which we're going to get into in the second hour. They would be focusing on Jesus as their king. They would be focusing on him as their king and yet in a week he would be crucified. Folks, understand the incredible magnitude of these experiences and what we can learn from them in our own preparation. Uh, we'll be back after the news and all of that for the second hour to continue the story of writing into Jerusalem and what happens after and the many other things Jesus did during that week to prepare. And the question is, how do you and I prepare for our lives? Folks, uh, if we're not in your area uh, for the second hour, go to ChristianQuestions.com and stay with us by clicking Listen Live. You don't want to miss this. For Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions, Jesus was prepared. Are you? We'll be back soon. Think about it.
0: This is Christian Questions.
1: Sun Tzu once said, supreme excellence consists in breaking the enemy's resistance without fighting. Good morning everyone and welcome back to Christian Questions Talk Radio with your breakfast with Jonathan and Rick. This isn't your typical Christian commentary. We love talking with our audience and we promise to never talk at you like so many talk shows do today. This is a conversation about biblical topics as we look at them from a different perspective. And Jonathan, we have got a very, very important subject on the table today.
2: We certainly do, Rick, and our question this morning is, Jesus was prepared. Are you? And our theme text is found in Luke chapter 19, verses 9 and 10. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of
1: Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And this morning we are going over the events not only of Palm Sunday as we know it today, uh, but the events that surrounded the preparation for the crucifixion. And there are so many of them. It's interesting. We heard a soundbite in the first hour, Jonathan, that mentioned that uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke have about twenty-five percent of their content focused on the last week of Jesus' life.
2: That's right. And the book of John, forty-six so percent, the last week you of have Jesus'
1: life. A lot to draw from, and we're looking at these. Uh, these accounts with the question, okay, what did Jesus do to prepare himself for his crucifixion? And so far what we're finding out is not only did he do several things to prepare himself, but he did several things to prepare everybody else That's right. for his crucifixion. And that just shows you the, the again, the magnitude of the the mind of Jesus as he is preparing for this final um trial and difficulty that will seal the ransom price and redeem the world. I mean, talk about responsibility.
2: Oh, yeah. <laughs> the weight was on his shoulders. Right.
1: So, so folks, what we're looking for is your input. If you have any, uh, in terms of looking at how Jesus prepared, if there's something that jumps out at you, we'd love to hear from you on that, or maybe what it means to you and, and, and some of the lessons you can learn in your own life. Let us know at 866-985-4255.
2: Out from the dark ages and into the light of today, join us 24-7 at ChristianQuestions.com.
1: Okay, let's get started. We left off when uh, Jesus is beginning to ride into Jerusalem, and there's a lot of, uh, a lot of excitement. There's about 300,000 people there to greet him. They're putting their, their cloaks on the, on, the, on the path before him and the, and the palm branches, and, and that's, that's something they would have done for a king. Okay, you, you, That's right. you know that uh, from, from the Old Testament. So you, you've got a, a sense of, of acceptance of Jesus as the king of all of Israel. So we'll continue reading our combination of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John on this particular event. They began to praise God
2: joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor
1: David. So you see that there's so, there's so much there. There's that. The blessed is the one who comes. Hosanna. Blessed. Hosanna. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Hosanna. And You've got this theme and this crowd, this immense crowd Shouting it out. If you've ever been in a stadium where people are really excited, multiply that by six. Yeah. Huge. <laughs> it's, it's incredible. So let's go to another, another sound by Jonathan, just to get a sense of the, the, some of the symbolism here. Um, this is from the, the Jewish Jesus as the Passover lamb.
3: Five days before Passover, the lambs were brought to Jerusalem to be chosen for sacrifice. On the same day, Jesus entered the city for the last time before his death. All going back
7: to the sacrifice ritual, going back to the Passover lamb, saying this is the ultimate
3: substitute. The one who's coming is not coming the way you're expecting. The prophet Zechariah had announced his arrival 500 years earlier. Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and riding on a donkey. The donkey is a symbol from Zechariah not of political power, but of a Messiah who comes meek and lowly, and not as a Messiah who comes with a sword in the hand to overthrow the Romans.
1: So that, that adds to a completely different perspective of what the people may have expected from Jesus. Yes. You know, a lot of them, when you, when you expect the Messiah, you expect... Deliverance. Mm-hmm. And we're going to get into that, actually, in, in the next segment. But let's go back to the origin of why is it Jesus, by definition, had to be, in his entire earthly ministry, meek and lowly of heart, and not have a sword in his hand. There was a great, very, very specific reason for that. And, Jonathan, what we see is there is a significant connection to the original Passover, when Israel was freed from Egypt, and... Um, and, and if you remember that, if you remember the movie The Ten Commandments, <laughs> that's a good way to get everybody back into the, into the perspective. It, of it is. You know, you have the drama of the plagues, mm-hmm. and then the, the tenth plague is going to be coming, and God comes to Moses and says, Okay, this is time for your deliverance. And so God gives Moses very specific instructions. So we're going to drop in on some of those instructions and see. This is amazing. Yeah, it is. It is a, a dramatic. Uh, uh, correlation, dramatic correlation to Jesus. Let's start with Exodus chapter 12, verse
2: 3. Tell the whole congregation of Israel that on the 10th of this month, they are to take a lamb for each family, a lamb for each household.
1: Okay, so on the 10th of this month, what are they taking? A lamb. All right, and it's on the 10th of, of of Nisan. That's right. John one twenty nine. On the
2: morrow, he seeth Jesus coming unto him and said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world.
1: So it sounds like a great coincidence that Jesus is called the Lamb of God and they're supposed to take a lamb into the household.
2: And that's the same day.
1: Yes, it is. But you know what? It's not a coincidence because now they describe the lamb. Exodus 12, verses 5 to 6. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a
2: year old male. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. You shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month. Then the whole congregation assembled of
1: Israel shall slaughter it at twilight. So, again, the instructions were very specific to Israel that this lamb is without blemish. It's in the, really in the prime of its life. And it's, it's going to be taken in on the tenth and kept until the fourteenth day. Well, 1 Peter 1.19, how does it describe Jesus? But with precious blood,
2: as of a lamb without spot. Even the blood of Christ.
1: So as of a lamb without spot, you know that that is referring back to the original Passover. Absolutely. So there's a very, very significant connection. The Passover lamb is Jesus. You cannot avoid that reality and that truth. The Passover lamb is Jesus. So the Passover lamb was there as a picture of Jesus to come so much later. And we're talking thousands of years. That is awesome. It, 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 but wait, there's more. <laughs> okay. Let, let's go to another Passover connection. The blood of the Lamb. Now we we just briefly touched on it, but the blood of the Lamb and the saving power of the Redeemer. Let's go back to Exodus chapter twelve, verses seven and thirteen. And remember, this is God telling Moses exactly what to tell the people. They shall take some
2: of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lentil of the house in which they eat it. The blood shall be a sign for you on the house where you live. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague shall destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt.
1: Okay, so the blood is the sign of deliverance. It's the blood. And let's go back to 1 Peter one nineteen.
2: But with precious blood, as of a lamb without spot, even the blood of Christ.
1: So when we read it the first time, we focused on the fact that it was a lamb mm-hmm. without spot. And now we focus on the fact that it's the precious blood of The blood of Christ. Yes. And what does the blood do? It delivers. What did the blood of the lamb at the original Passover do? It delivered
2: the firstborn.
1: It's the same thing. And blood is an important symbol in scripture. Let's just touch quickly on Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11.
2: For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul.
1: So the life of the flesh is in the blood. It's interesting that the Jewish nation knew that long before other nations did. Yes. Uh, But the point is that it is the life force that is the deliverance. And that's exactly what the New Testament says. And that's what the Old Testament prescribes. So Jonathan, it's all the same. You're seeing the Passover lamb and the blood of the lamb. And those two things come together as a... um, as a clear picture of what it is that Christ is supposed to do and Christ is supposed to bring. Folks, if you have a thought, we'd love to hear from you on Jesus preparing for his death. What can we learn from that? What stands out in your in your observations of that? And maybe what have you learned? Uh, at 866-985-4255, toll free, 866 985 We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9, and that means we're on right now.
2: Christian Questions, a weekly habit that's good for you. Thanks for tuning us in every Sunday morning live from 7 to 9. Join our conversation
1: any day and time at ChristianQuestions.com. So, Jonathan, back to this thing. The only salvation available as a deliverance from slavery for Israel and as a deliverance from the certain death of the firstborn was the blood of the Lamb. That's right. So there That's were, it. were there were two parts to the deliverance. The firstborn were delivered by the blood, and as a result of their deliverance, the entire nation was delivered exactly. Now, this blood was to cover them completely as symbolized in striking it on the two doorposts and the lintel. And again, let's go to a New Testament scripture that clearly tells us that is a picture of Jesus himself. Therefore, my friends, since we have confidence
2: to enter the sanctuary by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us approach with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water.
1: Okay, so you have this unblemished lamb taken in on the 10th of Nisan. And that's the the uh, what happened in the Passover. Yes. Okay, so on the 10th day of the month, the lamb was taken in to the house.
2: And... Perfect Jesus received as a king riding in on that
1: donkey on Nisan the 10th. On the the exact same day. Now that's a coincidence, huh?
2: No, (laughs) I think not
1: not even remotely close to coincidence. It's, it's not a coincidence that it was a lamb that was slain uh, to, to to deliver the people in Israel. It's not a coincidence that Jesus is called the Lamb of God. It's not a coincidence that it, there was blood. It's not a, it, it, these things are not coincidental. They're there for the purpose of helping us understand it. The two, three other points, Jonathan. Lamb was slain on the 14th of Nisan.
2: That's right. Jesus was crucified on the 14th of Nisan
1: exact same day. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Now, it also says in Exodus, and we didn't read this part, but it says that the lamb was slain, it says at even, which means late afternoon. And the way the Jewish clock worked... Late afternoon. The day started at six p.m. Mm-hmm. Okay, so late afternoon would have been around three o'clock in the afternoon.
2: And Jesus died at three p.m. The ninth hour. You find that in Luke twenty-three forty-four.
1: So not only is the Passover of Israel originally being released from Egypt a picture of G- of Jesus um, releasing the world from sin, but every detail of that original Passover was fulfilled by Jesus. Exactly at the same time.
2: That's right. And the scribes and Pharisees were trying to hurry Jesus' death on the cross so that they could get back to their services of sacrificing the lambs.
1: And as we mentioned, the blood delivered the firstborn and the nation in Israel, and Jesus' blood delivers the firstborn, the true church, and the world. So, Jonathan, they're, they're, these the things—the church
2: first, the world second, right. the firstborn first, the nation exactly. second—wow, what a picture!
1: So, put all of these together, and you get an amazing, an amazing picture of in the Passover what Jesus was supposed to do. So, how did Jesus prepare? Well, he controlled those things that were within his power to be where he was supposed to be, and he relied upon God's overruling for the rest. Jesus knew he had to show up, he had to be ready, and he had to be in the right heart attitude, and God provided the rest. Jesus didn't send out invitations to the crowd they showed up on their own this is
2: Christian Questions I'm Jonathan here with Rick our subject this morning Jesus was prepared are you? coming up as Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey what did the crowd mean when they shouted Hosanna do you know? that's next
0: Listening to Christian
2: Questions. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning Jesus was prepared. Are you? To be a part of our program, call toll free 866 985 4255. That's 866 985 for all. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now. And our website, ChristianQuestions.com.
1: And Jonathan, we are going through uh, the preparation for the crucifixion. And, uh, you know, when you, when you look at Jesus and how he did things and, and why he did things and the way he did things, it is startling. When, it is. When you see not, every detail. Right. Not only the connection to prophecies, but the connection to the Old Testament Passover. And there's just so much that, that, you, that just jumps out at us uh, in terms of putting this all in, in perspective. So let, let's continue. Uh, you know, one of the things we mentioned but we didn't talk about yet was the fact that the crowd was shouting out Hosanna. Yes. Oh, well, okay, great. What this is has that? a wonderful meaning to it, w- right? What does it mean? It means, oh, save. Or save us now! All right, it's an exclamation of adoration. It is a it is a very serious uh, compliment to the one that you're shouting it to. You are you are showing your adoration, and you're looking for deliverance from that particular individual.
2: The, this is the Messiah, the King. He, he all right, save us now. We're right, ready. Right, right. We've been waiting. We there, are. It's
1: time. Hundreds of thousands of us are standing right here, right now. So we look at the Hebrew words. For that hosanna. And in every instance, the thought is not only, oh, save, but save us now. And we just want to give you one example of that, and then we'll go to the phones. Um, but we have, there are other examples in Seek uh, Your Rewind, the bonus material. Mm-hmm. If you don't subscribe to Seek Your Rewind, the bonus, uh, Seek Your Rewind, uh, at ChristianQuestions.com, do so. It's a great service. It's available free of charge. You just sign up at ChristianQuestions.com. You get a PDF, or uh, you get an email, uh, with a link to the PDF file once a week to ch- tell you it's ready for your viewing, and you're going to love it. So you can rewind the full edition exclusively available at ChristianQuestions.com. Psalm 118.25. Save now. There it is, right there. I beseech thee, O Lord, O Lord, beseech thee, send now prosperity. The words save now are the exact same word for Hosanna. The crowd proclaimed that Jesus was the son of David, a prophet and healer that they were immediately looking for deliverance from. This meant they believed Jesus could deliver them. That's right. And so there's this incredible infusion of hope into these 300,000 people. And fear
2: from the scribes and Pharisees. Right, right. Oh, no. Yeah,
1: and we're <laughs> going to get to that fear uh, in just a minute.
2: Well, Rick, let's go to the phones. We have Randall from Connecticut. Good morning, Randall, and welcome to Christian Questions.
7: Good morning, Holy Sunday, guys. Thank you. And we have Luke twenty-one, fourteen, fifteen. 15. So make up your minds... Not to prepare your defense in advance, for I will give you words and a wisdom. Jesus is not just walking toward Calvary. He is seeing Easter Sunday. All of his actions, all of his words, demonstrate his knowledge of the seriousness of Good Friday, but a calm awareness and trust of serenity. Psalm 22, one: My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? The seeming cry of despair of Jesus on the cross is from a psalm that ends with the Lord's victory. Jesus asks us to prepare with trust. We know that he is with us in the trials of this life and even after death life is ours. Psalm 22:24 For he did not despise or abhor the affliction of the afflicted. He did not hide his face from me, but heard when I cried to him.
1: Randall, thanks so much. We appreciate it.
7: God
2: bless you guys. You too. Take care.
1: And you know, Randall mentioned Psalm twenty-two, and folks, that is in this week coming up. Uh, you know, before the uh, uh, the um, crucifixion and, and the, the way you know we typically celebrate it, um, Psalm twenty-two is a great psalm because it's about Jesus on the cross. It's about his experience, and then it's about, as Randall said, the victory following. So it's a great psalm to meditate on as you look at this whole thing. And, and just just one other quick, th- Randall, thanks so much. We appreciate it. One other quick thing, Jonathan, just by way of a uh, notation. We don't want to spend time on it. The way we calculate all of this... In 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 our secular world is all wrong. I just want to let you know, uh, the the calculation for the the proper uh, celebration of of uh, the Passover, and the actual crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus has to go according to the Jewish calendar. Right. And so it's a different it's a different set of numbers, if you will. But just just wanted to to mention that you know, and if you if you'd like to get more information on that, you can certainly email us at Rick at Christian what is it? ChristianQuestions.net. Rick at ChristianQuestions.net. We'd be glad to respond to you on that and give you a little bit more detail. Let's go back to the, uh, the account of riding into Jerusalem and now some of the reaction. Uh, again, you were saying the Pharisees.
2: There was fear on their part.
1: Yes, there is. And well, let's read some of that.
2: Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, order your disciples to stop. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. And he came near and saw the city, and he wept over it, saying, If you, even you, had only recognized on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Indeed, the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up ramparts round you and surround you and hem you in on every side. They will crush you to the ground, and you and your children within you, and they will not leave within you one stone upon another, because you did not recognize the time of your visitation from God.
1: So Jesus words and actions acknowledge that the plan was inexorably moving forward and could not be stopped. Here is the interesting thing. Jesus the Pharisees are telling Jesus, you know, teacher. And it's interesting they call him teacher. Uh, yeah. They get his attention. Order your disciples to stop. They're making too much noise. They're creating havoc. They are they are they are threatening our very serenity and peace here. That's what they're saying. Mm-hmm. And Jesus' response to them is I can't because if I if they were silent, the very stones would cry out. Now why would he say a thing like that? To fulfill prophecy? That's right. Because he's <laughs> saying the prophecy must be Be fulfilled. So you can't stop them because they're doing what God uh, saw that they would do, and it just cannot be stopped. So Jesus is acknowledging he's doing what's necessary and just seeing and fulfilling the, 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 the fact of God's plan moving forward. So, what's the preparation lesson that we can get from this? How did Jesus prepare?
2: he announced the irrevocability of God's design and continued with prophecies regarding Israel's future.
1: So he announces that you can't stop it what's happening. That's right. And then he continues to to, to put prophecies out about what's going to happen to Israel about the destruction of Jerusalem and so forth. When so, he,
5: go
2: ahead. J- w- want me to continue with
1: Um y- yeah, yeah, go ahead.
2: Okay, when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil asking Who is this? The crowds were saying, This is the
1: prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. So now, he, now he's got the whole city in turmoil. He had all of the people outside of the city in this, in, this, in this turmoil, if you will. But now he's coming into the city, and the turmoil has literally followed him into the city. There's turmoil. There's excitement at the prospect of Hosanna, at this prospect of deliverance. Save us now. Right, and not just deliverance, but deliverance right here, right now. So... Again, let's get a sense of the reaction of what's happening, a little bit of a dramatization of the, the, the Jesus entering into Jerusalem and some of the reaction of the Pharisees.
6: His disciples did not understand this at the time, but when Jesus had been raised to glory, they remembered that the scripture said this about him and that they had done this for him. The people who had been with Jesus when he called Lazarus out of the grave and raised him from death had reported what had happened. That was why the crowd met him, because they heard he had performed this miracle. The Pharisees then said to one another,
3: You see,
0: we are not succeeding
6: at all. Look, the whole world is following
5: him.
1: And, and that's, such a, that's such a dramatic statement uh, that the Pharisees made. And Actually, let's, let's find that. Let's read that in John twelve nineteen.
2: The Pharisees then said to one another, You see, you can do nothing. Look, the world has gone after him.
1: And, you know, Jonathan, of all the things we have recorded um, f- of from the Pharisees, this was probably the truest utterance that the Pharisees could have ever given. Good point. <laughs> because the time would come when Jesus would truly have all of the world follow after him. That was coming. Now, it hadn't come so yet. So they,
2: they actually professed a prophecy. Yes, they
1: did. Yes, <laughs> they did. Unintentionally. And they, they did it by way of throwing up their hands and saying, oh, what, what can we do here? I mean, look at the size of the crowd. And see, when you realize of this and you realize there's 300,000 people surrounding Jesus most of which are very pro Jesus mm-hmm. okay there are there are a few obviously that are that are against him but now you see the dilemma that the Pharisees would have had over the next week in terms of trying to capture him and put him away and 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 kill
2: him obviously they couldn't do it in public because right. of those that love Jesus
1: right and you're you're seeing this incredible outpouring of the love for Jesus. Because when you look at when you look at Jesus Christ, what was there that not to love? Right. I mean, you have humility, you have peace, you have godly power, forgiveness, you have wisdom, you have teaching, you have all of these things and you have the man doing the will of God to be the ransom for all. I mean, everything there is to love. There's nothing not to love and yet they were against the will of the people. Really? Planning to take him out to, because he was threatening their position. Folks, if you have a thought, we'd love to hear from you. We're talking about how Jesus prepared. Uh, we'd like to hear your uh, thoughts on it, what what parts of his preparation maybe stand out to you at 866-985-4255, toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 and that means we're on right now.
2: While studying the Bible and talking about today's Christian topics, go to ChristianQuestions.com for audio, video, CQ Rewind, and other free resources that that no one else has on the planet. All programs are recorded and archived online.
1: Check them out. And don't forget to sign up for Christian Questions app at your app store for your phone. It's a free service as well. Okay, there are several things, Jonathan, that Jesus does in the next several days. Some he does right now, some he does in the next few days. We're not going to try to... Delineated day by day, but we just want to go through a few of these things for the rest of the program. Just list out some of the many, many things that he did that were very, very significant. So we're going to start with the withering of a fig tree. Now you think about what are you going to wither something for? You got everybody, you know, lining up behind you. But here's what it says in Matthew 21:18 and 19. Now in the morning, when he was returning to the city, he became hungry.
2: Seeing a lone fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it except leaves only. And he said to it, no longer shall there ever be any fruit from you. And at once the fig tree withered.
1: So you think about that and you think, wait a minute. I I mean, now this is the day after, okay, Mm -hmm. because in the morning he comes back into Jerusalem. So what would happen is during this week, Jesus would come into the city and do these things and teach and, and perform miracles and so forth. And then in the evening, he'd go back to Bethany. Mm -hmm. Okay, Bethany was just a couple miles out of town. So he comes back in, and he sees this fig tree, and he curses it, and it withers immediately. And you think, well, what is that? Why would he do such a thing?
2: Well, the fig tree, doesn't it represent Israel?
1: It does, interestingly enough. And again, what he's doing is he is putting the prophecies in place to say, this is what is about to happen, this is what is about to take place in these next few days, so he he that's one thing that he does that 's very very important now, no, and there's lots that we're not even going to touch on, but next, he cleanses the temple let 's go to mark eleven fifteen to seventeen then they came to Jerusalem
2: and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturn the tables of money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves and He would not permit anyone to carry merchandise through the temple and he began to teach and say to them. Is it not written, "My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations"? But you have made it a robber of dens,
1: a robber's den, uh, a yes. robber's den. Sorry. A robber of dens. Huh? <laughs> now that's an interesting concept. Is. I'll have to study that one. <laughs> so then, another another very significant event is the the fact that he goes and he cleans out the temple. Now, why does he do that?
2: Well, he he did that because people were actually um, robbing people. They were exactly. cheating them. Exactly. They weren't they were paying more for for what they were buying they, than they should have
1: right so so he he was not opposed to the money changers doing what they were supposed to do on a on a legal and level basis. Yeah, they
2: needed the sacrifices, didn't they? Right,
1: right, because all these people come into Jerusalem to, and want to give their sacrifices, but they didn't bring the sacrifices with them because they can purchase them there. Well, that's great, but don't charge somebody eight or ten times what you're supposed to charge exactly. them. Exactly. And that's why he says, You have made my father's house a den of thieves. Because you are robbing the people, don't do that. And he turns the tables over. And one of the interesting things about that, Jonathan, I like to think about two, two things. One, the irony of you got these guys in there that are robbing public blind, and he turns their tables over, which means their money is scattered all over the place. Mm-hmm. So you got the robber fighting against the other robber, deciding whose money is whose. Uh-oh. Isn't it?
2: Uh, it's chaos. <laughs> poetic
1: justice. That's what that is. That's poetic justice. But the other thing is he doesn't ruin their livelihood. He doesn't he, he he doesn't set the doves free, for instance. That's right. He, he does says take them out of here. Okay. He, and and, and animals, why was that? Because the poor could only afford the dove for the sacrifice. So he wasn't trying to ruin their livelihood. He was just simply trying to put things in order and saying, stop robbing the people. So Jesus prepared. How did Jesus prepare here? He focused on the coming
2: rejection of Israel based upon their sinful ways.
1: So you see, he's seeing what's happening and what's going to happen, and he's not afraid to bring it to the forefront.
2: This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, Jesus was prepared. Are you? Coming up, what does Jesus focus on in his last day before he offers himself as our sacrifice? That's next.
0: You're listening to Christian Questions.
2: Welcome back. This is Christian questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, Jesus was prepared. Are you to be a part of our program? Call toll free 866-985-4255. That's 866 985 We're live Sunday mornings from seven to nine. That means we're on right now. And our website, ChristianQuestions.com.
1: And Jonathan, as we go through these experiences, the, 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 the Jesus preparation uh, lesson from the last experience uh, of you know, cleansing the temple and withering the fig tree, he focused on the coming rejection of Israel based on their sinful ways. What he did, he wasn't afraid to deal with the reality of what was to come. And I think that's a great lesson for us. Are we afraid in our preparation to deal with the realities of what is to come You know, in this present even world? We, we need to be able to stand up for what we believe to be truth. That's right. So great, great lessons. For the final segment, folks, what we want to do is focus on the r- several other things. Again, there's many that we're not touching, but several other things that Jesus does in this last uh, week before um, crucifixion. Next thing he does is he encourages his followers. In Mark 11:23 to 26, we see that very clearly. Truly, I say to you,
2: Whoever says to this mountain, Be taken up and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says is going to happen, it will be granted him. Therefore I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them, and they will be granted you. Whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven will also forgive you your transgressions. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your transgressions.
1: So, basically, Jesus is, is opening up the floodgates of prayer here. He, he's just saying, look, you've got great power in your hands uh, if, if you pray properly. And, and and he's saying, you know, you've got to pray with with confidence in God's will. Now, of course, we know that you just can't pray for anything and say, well, I've got confidence. Because, you know, in James it says, if you pray, you rece- you ask and receive not because you ask amiss. That's right. So, But Jesus is opening up the gates in a way that the average individual would not have seen them open before in terms of prayer and a relationship with God in heaven. And I think he was preparing them for the Holy Spirit. Yes. The power and
2: influence of God working in them while they pray is... Is going to just elevate uh, them from where they are now. Yeah,
1: and that, that's a really good word. Uh, it, it does. It elevates their stand standing before God, not because they're so great, but because the Spirit is so powerful. Exactly. And so they so Jesus does spend time preparing and encouraging his followers in very, very dramatic ways. He also spends time and Jonathan, we've got several scriptures on this dealing with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And again, this is the, the last ditch effort to get them to see reality. And folks again, if you have a thought, now would be the time 866-985-4255 toll free 866-985-4ALL we're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 and that means we're on
2: right now And our website, ChristianQuestions.com
1: so, he deals with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Let's go to actually the next verse in Mark, Mark 11, 28, uh, 27 and 28.
2: They came again to Jerusalem. And as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and elders came to him and began saying to him, By what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do these things?
1: Okay, so they ask him a question. Okay, who, gave, who gives you the right to speak out like this? What Jesus does, and we won't read the scripture, is he asked them a question. By what authority do you do some of the things that you do? And they couldn't answer And so they figured, well, we better keep quiet then. So he just, he just, they they get tied up in their own words. Jesus re-challenges them and and, and puts, makes, makes them, makes them quiet. Now let's jump to Matthew twenty-two verses one to three, because now he's still dealing with the Pharisees here, and he spends a lot of time dealing with them and helping them to see. Of course, they don't, but he's helping them to have the opportunity to see the error of their ways.
2: Jesus spoke to them again in parables saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son, and he sent out his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding feast, and they were unwilling to come.
1: And again, you you think that the Pharisees when they heard him speak a parable like this, they might think is he talking about us as not being willing to come? Mhm. Is he yep. Is he trying to say that there's something great going on and we're standing against it instead of standing for it? That's right. <laughs> and that is. That's exactly right. Jesus spoke the parable so they could understand in, in no uncertain terms, yes, you are messing up your own opportunity. He, he's, he's saying, not, not quite like this, but he's saying, look, here I am. I am the promised Messiah. I'm here. I'm in front of your eyes. Look, see, listen, and learn. But they don't want to do that. They don't want. To, as a matter of fact, what they want to do is in Matthew. After he finishes that parable, Matthew twenty two fifteen. What's their reaction?
2: Then the Pharisees went and plotted together how they might trap him in what he said. <laughs>
1: So so the reaction is exactly the opposite, and yet it's consistent with where they have always been through his three and a half years. And one of the things, Jonathan, just just a, a quick sidelight here that I think is fascinating. When you look at the way Jesus dealt with the Pharisees early on in his ministry, and then in the middle of his ministry, and then later in his ministry, you can see that Jesus was very, very, very... Um, what's the word? He... he Not humble, but he was very quiet in his responses to the Pharisees early on. Oh yeah, he was. Gentle. He was gentle. gentle That's the word I was looking for. He was very gentle. Toward the middle of his ministry, he became a little bit more firm. Mm -hmm. Yes. At the end of his ministry... (laughs)
2: Last ditch effort. He uncorks it, okay? (laughs) He just
1: uncorks it because they didn't respond to gentleness. They didn't respond to uh, a firm approach. So now he is just just trying to lay it out for them to give them an opportunity to repent of their sins. And and that is so significant. Again, that shows us how Jesus prepared. He was concerned about them. He was. And he's trying, he loves them. He's trying to get maybe not all of them, but some of them to realize, wait a minute, what am I doing? What am I doing here? What am I doing? So he's trying to draw them to him, and he does it in, in a process over the three and a half years. So... Um, What was the next scripture? Matthew 22, 34. Mm
2: -hmm. But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered themselves together.
1: So the Sadducees again come to Jesus with They tried. Yeah, you know, well, you know, uh, you know, a man has, you know, a woman, a man has, a se- woman has seven husbands or something. That's and, right. You know, whose husband is going to be hers in, in the kingdom? And Jesus said, "There's no marrying or giving a marriage in the resurrection." And they don't have an answer for that. <laughs> so <laughs> what's happening is you've got the 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 criticism. They can't trap them. Right. The criticism comes in from all angles, but nobody is able to be successful because Jesus is the man. He he is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. He is the one anointed to fulfill all this. You're not going to be able to trip him up. You just can't because you're wrong. that's, That's really what it boils down to. This is one of those situations where wrong looks like it might have a chance at prevailing, but it just can't and just doesn't. Now... Let's, and again, I'm just going to read one verse from, from this section. Matthew 23, 27. Jesus now is calling out the Pharisees dramatically and emphatically.
2: Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness.
1: And... That's one phrase from the 23rd chapter of Matthew that Jesus, again, over and over and over, he lambastes the Pharisees. And he tells them exactly what they're thinking, exactly what they're doing, and exactly what the consequences are. He doesn't pull any punches. This is his last attempt to draw them to him. It's his last attempt to shake them out of the lethargy of pride and sinfulness. And they just don't. Listen. And, 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 you know, this, Jonathan, is, is kind of interesting because remember that it's they, they are after him because of his raising Lazarus from the dead. Right. And he calls them whitewashed sepulchres. Where was, where was Lazarus? In the sepulchre? In the tomb, yeah, yes. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, inside is, 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 is darkness and, and death. And what Jesus is basically saying is look, I know how to bring life from death. You are the death. I could bring you to life, but you just won't listen. You just won't listen. So, further on, Matthew 24, Jesus foretells his return to his followers. This is the great prophecy of Jesus. And as he was sitting on the Mount of
2: Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age?
1: Okay, so... He's got he's got a sense of uh the the, the magnitude of what's going to be coming. Yes, I'm here, I'm going to die in a few days, but this is not the end. This is the beginning of an incredible story. Let me tell you about the context of my return.
2: He didn't say it's going to be over 2,000 years, though. No,
1: he? no. <laughs> and, he, and, and he doesn't focus on the fact that he's about to die. No, he doesn't. But he focuses on the life that comes from his death, and all of their responsibilities, and all of the world history and so forth that comes in between. And he doesn't stop there. Jesus continues to, to teach in parables to everyone. Previously, he was focusing on the Pharisees, but now he tells the parables of the wise and foolish virgins, the talents, the sheep, and the goats, all spoken to put in order the things that would come to pass after his ascension from the age of the gospel right through to the day of judgment. So, he is not only just preparing for the moment, but he's preparing for all of human history to come. Wow. It is. It's amazing. That is amazing. And in that preparation, Jonathan, he is really preparing you and I. Because he gives those parables and they apply during the age of the gospel, and we, two thousand years removed, can get the lessons. Excellent, excellent. He prepared us. He was looking out for us before he. You mean he had our back? Absolutely, (laughs) absolutely did. Um, He warns his disciples of coming events. Matthew twenty-six one and two.
2: When Jesus had finished all these things, he said to his disciples, "You know that after two days the Passover is coming." and the Son of Man is to be handed over for crucifixion.
1: So now he gets very, very specific and tells them... I'm going to be crucified. I mean he he doesn't he doesn't beat around the bush he, and he's hinted at this and he's told them this in the past but now it's just a couple of days away.
2: Time frame he even gave. Wow.
1: Right. Yep. So he says this is what is going to happen. Did so, the
2: disciples understand it when he
1: said you it? You know, you y- you wonder about that. They probably heard it and said, huh? and that's strange. How could that possibly be? I mean, because don't forget he's still popular, yes <laughs> so so you're you're looking at this and saying how how could all of that work out to be that way uh, and and So, no, they didn't understand it. They didn't fully understand it. And we all know what happened, you know, after Jesus was crucified and the difficulties they had. And our final verse, Jonathan, will be Matthew 26, verses 3 and 4.
2: Then the chief priests and the elders of the people were gathered together in the court of the high priest named Caiaphas, and they plotted together to seize Jesus by stealth and kill him.
1: All right. Seize Jesus by stealth. Now, that's interesting because what you have is over this period of time, these several days, before the uh, the 14th of Nisan, which would have been Friday of that week, which would have been the day that, remember, 3 o'clock that day? The lambs
2: were to be slain.
1: Right. So you have, you have the intensity of the experience, and you know the Passover is coming, and as we mentioned before, this Passover is special because it's on the same day as the Sabbath. That's right. So... They the Pharisees have had enough. They want to take Jesus off the scene. They want him wiped out of their memories as quickly as possible. And but they have a deadline.
2: Before the Passover. So
1: they want to commit a heinous crime before the Passover. And they just get it over with so they don't have to be defiled on the Passover. Let's think about that for a second. Oh okay? my. I mean really. How sad. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you, you, you get that sense. And, and you see and that. And how defiled were they? Yeah. <laughs> 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 at that point? And, but see, Jesus knew it and put all pieces in place. So how? Last lesson. How did Jesus prepare? He applied his knowledge of prophecy. He focused, prophesied.
2: Healed, encouraged, taught, answered, prayed, gave, and received. Jesus did what he always did.
1: And that's the great lesson from all of this. It's no surprise as to what Jesus did what we see is he just followed through the way he always followed through but of necessity the the intensity of a few of those things had to become greater because this was the very very end of the road and his is his dealing with the with the pharisees specifically became very strong because it was the last chance for them to 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 find their way out of their their own their own way so
2: what can we learn from him are we prepared
1: are we have we set the habits of living a Christ-like life day to day to day to day so that when the intensity of our trials come We can continue to do exactly what we've always done in following in the footsteps of Jesus. Why would we do that? Because that's what Jesus did, and that's what we are called to do. Folks, we hope you've enjoyed being with us today. We certainly have enjoyed being with you. We'd love for you to check us out on Facebook. Send us a tweet. Let us know what you feel. Email us at rick at christianquestions.net. So much more to cover, but no time left. Enjoy this day as a day to meditate on the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and all that's to come. We see the events unfolding before us. For Jonathan and Rick, it's Christian Question. Jesus was prepared. Are you? We'll be back soon. Till next time, think about it.